Good morning. If you were here last week, uh, you heard Chris introduce uh, our fall sermon series, which is on the book of Genesis. Uh, And if you weren't here, we're studying the book of Genesis uh, this fall. Uh, I was curious, and so I asked Chris this week if he preached through Genesis when he started with the RUF ministry at Northeastern, and he did. Uh, Likewise, when I started directing a ministry at UVA called AIA, um, I preached on Genesis as well. And so what this means is that we are predictable. Uh, It also means, and more importantly, it means that, that we love this book. And we believe that understanding the book of Genesis is crucial for understanding the whole story that God is telling throughout Scripture about himself and about who we are and about the world. Last week, Chris preached on on the good news of creation. And we saw that even in just the first few verses of Genesis, God tells us some really important things about himself and about the nature of our world. We saw that God created the world with unrivaled power. Unlike the many of the ancient creation myths, there was no, there was no violence, there was no struggle, uh, there was no toil in God creating the world, there was no competition. And so those things do not define our world. God created the world in unrivaled power. And we saw that God always uses his power for good, that God delights in, and that he actually defines goodness. And so power is never neutral, it's never up to us to define its proper use. Rather, our use of power, the acts of our will, are always judged by whether or not they conform to God's goodness. This week, uh, as we turn, uh, or we move a little bit further forward in Genesis chapter 1, we begin to see God speaking to our own human nature. And as we do, it'll be important to keep God's power and God's goodness in mind as we think about our own nature. I'll be reading from uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31. And so please turn there in your Bibles or in your order of worship. Uh, We'll read the entire account, the entire account of the sixth day of creation. But our focus this morning will be specifically on verses 26 to 28, creation, uh, the creation of humanity in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. 
and it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was morning, or there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, Please pray with me for the teaching and receiving of God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word to pierce through the darkness of our world and of our own hearts, that we would see you the light of life, and that we would know your great love for us, and that we would live in your love, and that we would love you with our lives. Lord, in your great mercy, you have made yourself known, and you have revealed to us who we truly are our true identity in this world. And so help us today, Lord, to more fully understand ourselves through your word, that we might live in the fullness of the calling and the blessing that we have received from you. Lord, we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. A number of years ago, I met a fairly quiet and unassuming student uh, through our ministry at UVA. Uh, His name was Ryan. And as I got to know Ryan, I learned uh, two important things about him. One is that he he was a cross-country runner in high school, and he loved to paint. And at some point during his time in high school, he, he married or combined these two loves And he painted a a very large painting of a cross-country race. He was one of the runners in this race in the midst of a pack of runners. It took him hundreds of hours to paint this painting. And it was so good that, that the school hung the painting in the entrance hall so that this huge painting was the first thing that you see when you went into the school each morning. I can't remember if he he won some competition to get it hung there, uh, but whatever it was, it was good. It it was good enough for it to be displayed for all to see. There's more to this story, and and we'll come back to it, but but when Ryan told me uh, about this painting and about the time and the care and the attention and the love that he put into the painting, which was a reflection of who he is and of what he loves, I felt like it gave me a little glimpse into the heart of God who knit us together in our mother's womb, as Psalm 139 tells us, and who formed and fashioned us with great attention and care and love to be a reflection of who he is and of what he loves. Our passage this morning tells us that the most important thing about us The essence of being human is that we are created in the image and likeness of God. Our core identity is in being a reflection or mirror of God himself. Not a still painting, but a living, breathing, moving, working, loving reflection of God himself. And this is true regardless of disease or disabilities or limits on our capacities, because God says that this is who we are. Our capacities to to speak and to think and to work and to make choices are important and implicit aspects of being made in God's image. But what God speaks into existence is, of course, primarily a theological declaration about who we are and not a psychological or physiological description. We are God's image and likeness, Because God has made it so. 
And so this morning, my hope is that we will see from our passage that we were made to reflect, to reproduce and rule, to relate, and to rest. But to reflect is primary. To reflect is primary. Everything else flows out of this core identity as living images who reflect our God. My apologies uh, if you are offended by excessive alliteration. Uh, it, was, it was just too easy th- this week. Sometimes you have to massage it, you have to work it, but it just it's too easy this week. So my apologies. What does it mean for us to reflect the image of God? How, how does this inform the meaning and significance of our lives? First and foremost, it means that we were made to worship, to magnify the glory of God by being billions of little finite mirrors who reflect God's glory back to him. If you think about the cell phone commercials where where you start seeing all these little lights light up all over the globe or all over a mat as as the cell phone company displays their global coverage. God made us to provide global coverage of his glory. It's one thing, well, to be made a living reflection is to be made a worshiping being. Made to find our happiness and our joy and our purpose in reflecting the glory of God. You see, we know from experience that imitation, which is another word for mirroring someone, we know from our experience that imitation is not just the sincerest form of flattery. We know that it's also the highest form of respect and praise and honor as well. It's one thing to speak words of praise or to sing someone's praise, and that is good and beautiful when it's sincere. It's another thing to imitate someone with our lives. I think it would be a very educated guess to to say that there are a number of kids here in this room this morning who seek to imitate their favorite athletes and the way they try to play their sport. And let's be honest, I mean kids of of all ages. Sometimes sometimes we even put their clothes on, so to speak. We we wear uh, their, their jerseys and we reflect and honor them when we imitate them or when we put their jerseys on, even if we're way too old to be wearing a college or pro sports jersey. I could also ask, how many young ladies in this room have imitated the singing of Taylor Swift? You don't have to raise your hand, although some of you would be very proud to do so. And we enjoy this imitation because we believe that the one we are imitating and honoring is good in some way. We enjoy their goodness and we seek to participate in it. About 15 years ago, uh, when we were doing some significant work on our house uh, to make room for our ever-growing family, our son Caleb had just turned four years old, and Mr. Archer, who is a master craftsman and a wonderful godly man, was doing some finishing work on our house over a period of several weeks. And he and Caleb developed a great friendship in this time as Caleb observed his every move and, and talked to him throughout the day, and I'm sure slowed him down quite a bit. But Mr. Archer um, even started bringing an extra sandwich for Caleb for lunch. And so they would have lunch together each day. And eventually he made him a wooden toolbox, a beautiful wooden toolbox with number one helper engraved on the side. Well, one day I I was sitting in my desk at home 
And I knew there wasn't anyone working on the house that day. It was a weekend, or maybe the whole project was over. I can't remember. But but I'm working, I'm sitting at my desk, and, and, and I hear this terrible noise coming from another room that, that sounded like someone was literally sawing through the floors of our house, which is a little concerning. And so I jump up, and, I, and I'm, I'm running through the house, and I find the room where the noise is coming from, and there is Caleb with his perfect vocal imitation of an electric saw that he had developed over a few weeks, guiding a water sprinkler that had become his circular saw across a board with wintertime earmuffs as his sound protection, (laughs) imitating Mr. Archer as best he could. It's amazing that Caleb's vocal cords still developed uh, after his repetition of electric saws. This is what he did all day. Every day, regardless of whether or not Mr. Archer was there. Actually, it'd be helpful to see a picture of it real quick. There we go. I wasn't lying. Okay, thank you. Like our reflection of God, Caleb's imitation of Mr. Archer was a very humble one, wasn't it? But do you think that Mr. Archer was honored by this imitation? Do you think that Caleb found great joy and satisfaction in that imitation? You bet he did. This is what we were made for and what our hearts long for with God. To imitate the goodness of God in our lives. The rest of scripture helps fill out this reality as we learn more and more about God's character and as we read passages later on in the New Testament like Ephesians 5.1 that literally says, be imitators of God as his beloved children. Be imitators of God as his beloved children. What, what a command that is, right? I mean, hey, you all, as you go out this week, I want you to imitate God all week in everything that you do. That's the command. But really, it's just, it's Genesis 1. It's calling us to live what God has told us we are. I think coming to grips uh, with this understanding of humanity as God's images can be really helpful if you're not a Christian, uh, or even if you are, and you struggle to understand why Christians are so concerned with things like obedience, obedience to God's law. And why we use words like sin, which is to break God's law, which is to go against God's character. And it's helpful because understanding our identity as the image of God enables us to see that God's laws are are not arbitrary tests of obedience or compliance, nor are they designed to kill our joy. Not at all. What it reveals is that God's laws are personal. They reflect his good and loving character. And they are embedded in us. The scripture says they are written on our hearts as those who reflect him. And so to live according to God's goodness is actually true freedom for a human being made in his image. Just as water is freedom for a fish, and getting out into the freedom of the open air is actually death for a fish, Freedom for human beings is living in the character of God. That's our water, living in the character of God. Many of you have heard it said that the cross of Jesus 
does not make sense until we see the ugliness of our sin. The cross of Jesus does not make sense until we see the horror of our sin. And that is very true. But I would add that the whole idea of sin does not make sense until we see the beauty of God's goodness and until we see that we were designed to live in it. The gospel does not begin with sin, but with the good news of creation, which includes us being made in God's image as the pinnacle of his creation. God said that it was very good. So we, we were made to, to reflect our God, and out of this flows the call to, to reproduce and rule, to relate, and to rest. And these last three points uh, are also conveniently our outline for the next three weeks as, as Genesis chapter 2 goes on to expand on these themes. And so this morning, what we're going to do is we're only going to touch briefly on the call to reproduce and rule and to relate since we're going to hit them again in weeks to come. And then, even though we'll hit rest again as well, we're going to consider how this morning's passage uniquely calls us into rest. And so briefly, reproduce and rule. In verse 28, uh, immediately after declaring humanity to be the image of God, God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. See, if we read verse 28 in isolation, the first part of it just sounds like having, having kids. Like, go have, just go have lots of kids and, and fill the earth. But when we consider that it comes on the heels of the threefold assurance that we are made in God's image in the prior two verses, this call to be fruitful and fill the earth takes on a much more profound nature. It's the call to fill the earth with the image of God. This is the global coverage that I mentioned earlier, that the whole earth would be filled with the glory of God. And so this is something that all of us are called to be part of, regardless of our state in life, because we are all called to participate in helping one another to be formed in God's image and likeness. This means pointing others to our God. This means sharing our faith in Christ This means the work of discipleship across all ages and stages, in addition to the very important work of raising up children in the image of God. And then the second half of verse 28, to subdue and have dominion over the earth, tells us that reflecting God's image also means ruling in God's image. Connolly prayed Uh, Labor Day prayers for this, this morning. We reflect God's creative and ordering power that we talked about last week and that he has generously shared with us. And as we've seen, the power that he shares with us is always to be constrained by his goodness and the way that we go about our work so that it reflects him, both his power and his goodness. And this has extremely important implications for understanding our work and the goodness of it, as well as our leisure activities, uh, but Chris is going to get into more detail about that next week. The next R word is, is relating. As we go about the work of reproducing God's image and ruling, we're called to reflect his glory in how we relate to one another. The the fuller story of Adam and Eve's creation awaits us in Genesis 2, 
But it, but it is noteworthy that even in the summary version in Genesis 1, we see mentioned the, the plurality and diversity of humanity. I'm sorry, in, verse, uh, in chapter Genesis 1 uh, and in verse 27, we see this plurality and diversity mentioned, male and female. And so even here, we, we see the seeds of the reality that we are created in the image of a relational God. And we see the seeds of the reality that there is great beauty in caring for one another as God's fellow image bearers and a corresponding horror in showing hostility toward one another because it's a direct attack on the image of God. Many people over the centuries have also seen this reality of our relational nature in verse 26, where God says, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And and they've seen the plural here as a direct reference to uh, the Trinity, uh, the Christian understanding of God as one God eternally existing in relationship as three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Perfect unity within diversity. And this verse certainly does not contradict this understanding of God that is faithful to the whole of Scripture and that our church is named after. Uh, However, there, there may be more solid scriptural support for the understanding that God uses the plural here because he is speaking from the midst of his heavenly temple court. See, it's not uncommon for God to use the plural when the heavenly court or angelic beings are present, even when God is the primary or sole actor, as he is here in verse 26. And so this view is a a little bit different than the straight Trinitarian view of, of verse 26, but they're not necessarily exclusive of each other, given that we eventually find out that Jesus is on the throne in the heavenly temple court and that the Spirit of God is present. This may have even been what the Spirit of God hovering over the waters was in Genesis 1-2, that it was the Spirit in the presence of the heavenly temple court hovering over the waters. Either way, uh, whichever view, uh, and whether I totally lost you there for the last 20 seconds or not, how we relate to and care for one another is essential and reflecting the image of our eternally relational God. And again, we'll talk more about that in weeks to come. Finally, our passage leads us to rest. To rest. Knowing in our hearts that we are the image and likeness of God leads us to a place of deep, deep rest. Because it means that we don't have to continually strive to create our own identity and worth or to justify our existence. On the one hand, we have a dignity that is bestowed on us, that is imprinted in our nature. And on the other hand, we have a restful humility that comes from knowing that our glory is a derivative glory, that it is always derived from God alone, so that we do not have to continually self-generate or reinvent our glory or our worth. Our glory in God is always reflective, and so it is never exhausted by our own limits. It does not run out. It does not need maintaining. It is always a reflective, derivative glory of God's glory, and there is great rest in this. Of course, we all know uh, what it is to not live in this rest at all. 
We probably even know it from this past week. Do you remember Ryan's painting uh, in the school entrance from 10 minutes ago? Well, when the school year ended, uh, I suppose Ryan figured that the painting would remain in the lobby for the whole summer, or maybe he planned to come pick it up at some point. But instead, what happened was soon after the school year ended, a faculty member who did not know what they were doing carelessly rolled up the painting, carelessly stored it, uh, not realizing uh, what this would do. And when it was eventually uh, unrolled by Ryan, his fears were realized. The painting was not unrecognizable. Uh, Much of it was still there, but significant damage had been done. And what I realized this week as I thought about this sermon is that the painting actually has the same problem that we do. See, the painting was turned in on itself, and when that happened, it lost its former glory. The essence of our sin is that we turn in on ourselves, either not knowing or forgetting that our glory is in God alone. And so we do feel the need to make up our own glory and identity as we go. And that is a very fragile and restless place to be. The fragility of our uncertain identity leads us to think both too highly and too lowly of ourselves at the same time, or we swing back and forth between the two as we constantly seek to reconstruct the meaning and the beauty that we know we were made for. We become lost in ourselves, lost in our own ambitions, personalities, image projections, desires, dreams, agendas. We become lost in ourselves, searching for that meeting, meaning. Like the painting, we, we're not unrecognizable as the image of God. We still bear his image. Even apart from Christ, we, we still have a conscience, God's raw law written on our hearts by his common grace to all humanity. We still find kindness and honesty and generosity and loyalty in the world. People still give good gifts to their children. Even mean people still give good gifts to their children. As C.S. Lewis tells us, we should not be surprised when we see these things in our fellow image bearers. But when we look around at the world, and even when we give our own hearts and lives and secret thoughts an honest look, we also see that we are severely damaged images of a great and glorious and faithful and loving king. We fall far short of the glory of God. What that means is we are defaced images of God. We have not fulfilled our calling. Because of that, we actually deserve to be cast aside. But brothers and sisters, the good news of the gospel is that God has not given us what we deserve. And I want us to see here this morning that the language and truths of Genesis 1 make so much sense of what Jesus has done for us. Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus the Son is the image of the invisible God. 
Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 says, The sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things through his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Jesus came and he lived as the true image of God, the true human, the true Adam. He lived the life that we were called to live. And how did he provide purification for sins, as Hebrews says? Well, this is the way Isaiah 52 puts it. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred, beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. You see, he took on our marred image in his suffering and on the cross so that in his resurrection we might be remade in him. Colossians 3.10 tells us that those who are in Christ by faith have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. There is rest for us from the weariness of being broken, fragile images who are always trying to make up our own meaning. And that rest is in the one who is the true image of the invisible God. He restores to us the fullness of our dignity. He restores to us the joy and restfulness of humility when we trust in him. And so when Ryan told me uh, about the painting getting rolled up, I asked him, I was like, so, so it's done? Like, that's it? Like, the teacher rolled it up? And it's, it's just ruined? Uh, and he said, well, well not exactly. When we spoke, which is quite a while ago, but when we spoke, Ryan had begun the process of going back and meticulously repairing and repainting all the smudges and all the damaged parts. Another hundred plus hour project. And he was very hopeful that one day it would be fully restored. Likewise, we are still in process. But we can be assured that God will finish his work in us. Because the, the Holy Spirit who lives in us is the Spirit of Jesus Christ who is risen in glory and is seated and resting at the right hand of the Father. Let's pray. O oh Lord, what is man that you are mindful of us? that you have crowned us with glory and honor. Thank you that you created us for your glory, created us to participate in it, in it. Lord, we thank you that you created us for joy in you. And Lord, we thank you and praise you that you have not treated us as we deserve, that you have not cast us aside, but instead you have pursued us. You have pursued us in your Son, who is the image of you, the invisible God. Lord, through him we know your character fully. We see your great mercy, your compassion, your kindness, your holiness, your purity, your faithfulness. And we thank you that we have life in him. Lord, I pray for myself, I pray for each of my brothers and sisters here. Lord, that this week 
we would rest in you and that you would continue by your spirit to reform us and to remake us in your image and likeness. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.